always a, a joy uh, to be able to, to sing with you and to hear you sing uh, each and every Sunday. Uh, if you would uh, uh, open your Bibles, uh, not to the Gospel of John, but actually to uh, Psalm 19. Uh, it's been my, my practice each uh, summer uh, to work through uh, some of the, the Psalms of the Old Testament. Uh, those are some easier standalone messages that many people, as many people are, are traveling uh, over the, the course of the summer. And since we kind of came to a natural breaking point in John's gospel, so this is a, a good time to pause and we'll resume that uh, in the fall. Uh, and uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 19. Uh, and uh, as you were turning there, uh, Iceland's uh, second largest industry behind fishing uh, is aluminum. Uh, Icelanders uh, mine it, they, they process it, and they uh, export it uh, for a variety of uh, products. Uh, and uh, that little island nation continues to grow in their productivity and their efficiency in, in mining and exporting uh, aluminum. But, but there is one thing, kind of a, a cultural value, uh, that also slows down their production of aluminum. What is this uh, portion of their culture that impacts uh, the, the aluminum industry? Well, it is a belief in fairies. Not the, the Tinkerbell kind of fairy. Uh, what they call fairies, you and I would call elves, trolls, and, and gnomes. Uh, in Icelandic, uh, they call these people the, the Holdenvolk, or the, the hidden folk, or the secret people. Uh, and many construction and mining projects uh, are halted so as not to disturb a, a stone or other portion of the landscape uh, where uh, the secret people might dwell. And there was a, a national survey back in, in 1975, uh, and at that point in time, only 7% of the population of Iceland uh, was certain uh, of the existence of elves. So 7% said elves exist uh, for sure, uh, but uh, only 10% were willing to go on the record at saying they absolutely do not exist. So 7% said uh, uh, they do exist, 10% said they don't exist, which leaves a very large middle. 83% of the, the people in Iceland at that time uh, were up in the air on whether or not uh, these, uh, these hidden folk uh, exist. Now, as Christians, uh, the world around us sometimes uh, mock us, sometimes uh, make fun of us uh, as if we believe in a mythical God, right? Now, we are often maligned, made fun of, spoken of behind our backs. And, and the world uh, sometimes, uh, in, in doing this, how are we tempted to respond? Sometimes, if we're honest, we have... We have doubts. Uh, sometimes their, uh, their mocking causes us to question. Right? How, how do I really know that God exists? How can I even know such a thing with certainty? And that is really the, the question that is being pondered in Psalm 19. We see a superscription in the psalm. Uh, it says that it is a psalm of David. There's a, a phrase that precedes it for the, for the choir director, uh, and that probably goes with Psalm 18 uh, rather than Psalm 19. 
Uh, usually that goes at the end of a psalm. If you look at the Habakkuk chapter 3, uh, you kind of see in, in a, a different context uh, the introduction to uh, a prayer or a psalm of Habakkuk, and then at the end it says, for the choir director. So usually in the Psalter, what you can do is take that for the choir director and put that at the end of the previous psalm, which means that at the beginning of Psalm 20, it says for the choir director. That's more than likely connected to Psalm 19. But... Uh, this is a psalm to be sung. This is a psalm of David. And we, we don't know the background to this psalm, but I, I can uh, imagine uh, that David might have composed this psalm as he was looking up into the night sky. It might have been when he was a, a young uh, shepherd boy out in the field, listening to the, the sheep uh, bleeding in the middle of the night and unable to sleep but staring up at the stars might have been when he was running from Saul or running from Absalom. We, we don't have the, the background to it, but I bet he wrote it when he was outside. Now, and really, this psalm is a meditation upon God's revelation to humanity. How has God revealed himself? What has he said? Really, this, this psalm divides neatly into two portions. And if you look at your, your Bible, some translations uh, kind of lay out uh, certain divisions in the psalms really well. And the, the two portions uh, are verses 1 through 6. And in 1 through 6, uh, David is, is speaking about and meditating upon how God has revealed himself in his creation, uh, in his world. In the second portion, verses 7 through 14, David is meditating upon how God speaks uh, to humanity, how he, how he has revealed himself uh, in his word. And there's uh, theological terms for these two different kinds of revelation. Okay? Uh, the first kind is general revelation. Uh, revelation uh, about God or God's testimony uh, about himself uh, to his creatures uh, through his creation. Right, we look at the, the things around us, and those are going to proclaim uh, truth about who God is and what he has done. And then the, the second portion of this psalm is about special revelation, God's revelation of himself you know, through direct means and in greater detail than uh, in general revelation. And over the course of human history, God has communicated in a variety of ways. Hebrews 1 talks about this, that in the past God has spoken in direct acts and in dreams and visions. He's spoken in his son and he has spoken to us and continues to speak to us in his written word. And both of these kinds of revelation, both general and special revelation, are important. But as we're going to see as we study this psalm, uh, that, that one uh, trumps the other. Uh, and special revelation uh, is what is uh, needed to properly interpret uh, general revelation. Uh, we need the scriptures to be able to rightly understand creation, not the other way around. But David is contemplating uh, both of these, and, and he is contemplating how they relate to one another. And there's going to be a progression in, uh, in this psalm. And God wants each of us to, to walk through this progression. This progression uh, begins with kind of God being this uh, big uh, creator. Now, we don't know much about him. If you look at uh, verse 1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Elohim. And in verse 7, uh, that transitions to something a little bit more personal. Uh, David uses the name of God, the law of Yahweh, the law of the Lord. Uh, and then if you look at how the psalm ends, uh, David, it gets even more 
personal. He moves from using kind of God as as generic creator to uh, I know the name of God. And then what does he say at the end of the psalm? Oh, Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. That is the progression that that God wants each of us to make, not just to, to know God in an impersonal, distant way, but to know him truly and personally. But I'd like to, to read this psalm from beginning to end. Beginning, he says, a psalm of David. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And the expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are their words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of Yahweh is clean enduring forever the judgments of Yahweh are true they are righteous altogether they are more desirable than gold even more than much fine gold sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb moreover by them your slave is warned And in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your slave from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pause and pray. Father, we thank you for your revelation to us. You have revealed yourself in your creation. You have revealed yourself to us in your word. We ask now that you would use your word to transform uh, our hearts and minds to lift uh, our thoughts and our affections uh, away from our everyday lives and upwards towards you. Help us to behold you for all that you are, for all that you have revealed yourself to be in your creation and all that you have revealed yourself to be in your word. Use this time now to increase our awe and our worship of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, C.S. Lewis called this psalm the greatest poem in the entire psalm book uh, and one of the greatest 
lyrics in the entire world. Uh, And this morning, I'm I'm just going to focus upon verses 1 through 6. Usually I do a whole psalm in one message, but there's a little bit too much here that I want to say. So we're going to look at the first six verses this morning. And in these verses, David is contemplating God's testimony to humanity through his creation. And as we study these verses, we're going to see how God's creation uh, has announced to his, uh, his presence to mankind uh, and what God has made known in that announcement. We're going to move through these uh, pretty quickly. It's going to be five of them regarding this announcement of God in creation. And we could say beginning in, in verse one, that creation announces God's existence and glory. If you look with me at that verse again. Two lines, uh, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and the expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Uh, Lines of of parallel thoughts uh, echoing the same idea tells us uh, the subject of who is acting. Now, the first line uh, says that the heavens uh, are acting. Now, here it likely speaks of, uh, of outer space, of the, uh, the, the uh, place uh, and location where the sun, moon, and stars exist. Uh, the second line speaks of the expanse. It speaks of the, the sky uh, where uh, the clouds and the birds dwell, what we would uh, refer to as uh, the earth's atmosphere. And then we are told uh, what these are doing. Uh, what the heavens and the, the expanse are doing, they are telling. Uh, literally, the idea in the first line is that they are repeatedly counting up. Uh, they are continually announcing uh, who God is. Now, they are telling, and then the second line, they are declaring. Uh, the idea of proclaiming something in a meaningful way and presenting it uh, in a very prominent way. Uh, and the stars w- were given to communicate. If you keep your your finger here in Psalm 19, you turn to Genesis chapter 1. Turn to the very beginning of creation. Sometimes uh, out of uh, familiarity, we we read through Genesis 1 really, really quickly, right? We don't read as as carefully as we should. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Why did God put the sun and the moon and the stars there in the heavens? Yes, to to mark out time. We understand that. Uh, To to mark out uh, days and years and to mark out uh, seasons. But we kind of skip past the signs. Right? Uh, that Hebrew word for signs is used in a variety of ways. Uh, among them, they are like uh, omens of the future. They are like uh, the banners that the Israelites w- would, would raise up when they were marching out to war. Uh, the, the stars were placed in a particular pattern and in particular ways uh, to communicate who God is, that He exists. They are given uh, to uh, speak to us. And and namely, what are they declaring? We're back in uh, Psalm 19. Uh, The the first line says that the heavens are telling, they are continually counting up the glory of God. Uh, And and the glory in the Hebrew mindset is the idea of uh, weightiness. Uh, There there is a heaviness to God. He's not uh, wispy. Uh, He's not light and airy. 
uh, he, he is heavy. There's a, there's a, a gravity to God's character and person, right? Uh, there's a sometimes uh, men have a character that's kind of always jovial and joking, right? You say this, like, and there's other guys who are like, I don't joke with that guy, right? His character, there is a weightiness to his character. Not necessarily that's a, that's a good thing, but with God it is. Uh, there is a weightiness to God's character, and his creation proclaims that. Uh, and that's what we begin to, to see as we look at uh, the world around us. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the second line says now that they also are uh, announcing and declaring the work of his hands. Everything that we see on display uh, in the heavens above us is the fruit of his labor. Uh, it is the, the product of his creative faculties. If you uh, look online and uh, just search for uh, s- pictures of space, you're going to see some amazing, uh, amazing photos. Uh, it's amazing just to look up at the stars uh, and see their, their number and their constellations. Uh, it's even more amazing to see uh, some of these photos of, of deep space that are being taken by uh, space telescopes and seeing uh, the creation of God and the work of His hands, uh, seeing all that He has made in the universe. But there's also uh, a, a program uh, here in the United States known as the SETI program. The search for extraterrestrial intelligence. You may have seen uh, in, in movies or in news reports, there, there's these vast arrays of satellites in the desert. And uh, they, they are searching for any uh, signals, any signs of life beyond uh, our solar system, uh, beyond the, the human race. And millions of dollars have been uh, spent to, to set up these vast satellite arrays and to keep them going. Uh, and uh, what's amazing is there, there's all of these satellites pointed up into space listening for a message, right? But, but they are missing the loudest message that is proclaimed from space. There is a message found in the stars, but it is ignored because it declares the existence of a creator. I think the Apostle Paul in in Romans 1 uh, is going to speak about creation and what it proclaims. And I think he has this psalm of David in mind. But listen to, to Romans 1, verses 18 through 21. Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because... That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish heart was darkened. God's existence is evident in his creation, yet the the natural response to the existence of God that is constantly in our face, how do we how do we respond to that? We, We suppress the truth. In unrighteousness. And we've talked about that. Natural uh, human beings, we suppress the truth about God, and then we suppress the fact that we suppressed it. 
We don't even realize what we are doing. But you cannot have a creation without a creator. You can't have something coming into existence uh, from nothing. You must have a first cause to all things, an uncaused cause, which begins everything else. And modern scientists usually trace everything back to what point? Let's say scientism, yeah, traces everything back to what point? The Big Bang. But what are they not explaining and pointing back to that? Yeah, where did that infinitely dense piece of matter come from, right? Because they're just saying it was. Well, how did it, how did it come to be? And then, how did that infinitely dense piece of matter uh, explode and create everything else, right? Because stuff just explodes naturally, right? Uh, especially infinitely dense pieces of matter. Now, all of that is, is purely hypothetical, uh, and they're not explaining it. That defies the laws of logic and physics. And yet it is taught in every single university across the country and around the world. Think about that. That is a suppression of the truth. Because creation proclaims the existence of God. And as we, uh, as Christians, are to look at God's creation, we are to, to see the work of His hands. Now, we, we are to give Him glory because glory and honor and praise are due to Him as our Creator. God exists and His creation announces His glory. Secondly, creation's announcement is constant and continual. If you look at verse 2, it says, Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge that every day and every night the message about god is proclaimed and that message is constant and it is continual now what do i mean by those two words Uh, and and what's the difference between those two words well uh, the, the, the announcement about god is constant meaning that it is firm it is fixed it is unchanging Right? Uh, as we read Romans 1, the Apostle Paul says that, that uh, what is known about God has been made evident since creation. Now, the knowledge that is revealed about God in creation has been present there uh, throughout all of human history. It has not changed from the beginning. It is firm and fixed. But additionally, it is, it is continual. It is unceasing. Now, the idea here is that, uh, that from day to day, uh, the glory of God is being uh, proclaimed by uh, the daytime sky. Okay, and then when night comes, uh, the day just passes the baton to night. It says, all right, the sun says, okay, now it's your turn, moon and stars. Now you get to proclaim uh, the glory of God and the nature uh, and his character. Uh, now you keep uh, announcing, and, and there's this endless cycle. Uh, the baton keeps passing uh, every day and every night. God's existence and glory is proclaimed. And most English translations say uh, that the, the speech uh, in that first line of verse 2 says, Day to day pours forth speech. And the, the Hebrew idea is literally the idea uh, that it, it gushes forth. Uh, it's like the, the, the picture of a, uh, of a spring uh, bubbling up, constantly overflowing from the ground. Right? So everywhere you look in God's creation, what is constantly bubbling forth? What should we see everywhere that we look? What we should see knowledge about God. Uh, that, that He exists and that He has created all of this. That He is present 
that he is unchanging. Now, the message uh, announced about the Creator is fixed and constant. Now, it is never turned off. And this is important to think about because uh, what uh, Abraham looked up at in Genesis 15, well, the, the sky that Adam and Eve sat under is the same sky that you and I look up at. Okay, what was announced about God uh, in the 21st century B.C. is still what is announced about God uh, in the 21st century A.D. And the closer you look at creation, the more we should see the fingerprints of the Creator in everything. Uh, the knowledge about Him gushes forth everywhere that we look. You look at uh, the stars, you look at the water cycle. Have you thought about the water cycle? Right? Have you just thought about life? Uh, and the reality that every person on the face of this planet who's ever lived and breathed has needed what? Water. Right? And, and what if water was just a one-time use resource? Right? If you used it one time and then that was it. Well, would, there wouldn't be any life. But God in His infinite wisdom has created the water cycle. So that water is continually renewed and brought back down to the earth to be uh, used. And then uh, it, uh, it's just recycled over and over again throughout all of human history. That's amazing. That doesn't happen by accident. There is an intentional design there. Uh, the replenishable source of life for all of humanity. You look at the stars, you look at the water cycle, you look at the process of, of birth or the intricacy of animals or the complexities of the human body. All of this proclaims the handiwork of a creator. And this is important for us to, to realize. All of this complexity shows us uh, that there is a designer, that there is a creator. Uh, and general revelation is proclaiming truth about God. You know, it is revealing uh, himself to humanity through what has been made and we have to, to be careful within this of god's uh, announcement is is unchanging and, and constant uh, and he is announcing the truth about himself uh, and uh, this category is not about uh, humanity like yes there's other aspects where we're growing in knowledge and understanding of of who we are as human beings uh, but the general revelation pertains to who who god is and we have to be careful not to, to elevate uh, our knowledge and call it general revelation. It elevates uh, human knowledge above where it ought to be. Right? General revelation has been uh, available uh, since the beginning. Uh, but oftentimes we think uh, things that have just been invented are general revelation. So that, that is not the case. Uh, the truth that general revelation proclaims has been available throughout all time. Uh, and... If speech about God is constantly coming at us, what, what should we do? Uh, if it is constantly gushing forth, uh, then we should constantly be looking for it. Uh, we should be constantly pointing it out, and we should constantly be responding to it. Right? When you are camping this summer, uh, and you look up at the sky and the, and the stars, what should you do? Give praise to God. When you are enjoying a swim some point this summer in the heat of the day, what should you do? Thank God for the water that you swim in. When you are out in creation, look for the fingerprints of your creator. Now, I've come across a really neat 
uh, uh, creation uh, video. Uh, it's a, a documentary series that's, uh, that's put out by a, a Christian group because all of those nature shows, usually if you watch them with your kids, uh, it's going to have all of this information about millions of years and evolution, all of these things. You're like, I have to mute this, but then... The, Oh, this is a wonderful series that's coming out. It's called The Riot and the Dance. Uh, and, and my boys have absolutely loved it. And it just looks at all of God's creation, all of the, the animals. And it's pointing out, this is, look at how God has created and ordained this animal to be. Look at the intricacies of the, the scales on this lizard's back. Look at the colors on his belly. Uh, and, and it's just an amazing series. And again, it, it, it provokes that awe and wonder of looking at everything around us and realizing God has placed it here. He is the one who has created it. All of it has his fingerprints on it. And we need to grow in awe and wonder in that. John Piper says, we are all starved for the glory of God, not self. Because no one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase self-esteem. There is greater healing for the soul in beholding the splendor than there is in beholding self. And that's something to keep in mind. Creation announces God's existence and glory, and yet that announcement is constant and continual. And third... Creation's announcement is inaudible, yet it cannot be silenced. If you look at verse 3, David says, There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. And initially that seems to be a contradiction with verse 2, right? Because David just wrote, Day to day pours forth, what? Speech. And then he says, there is no speech. You're like, wait a second, David. Which one is it? How can there be speech and no speech? Well, the emphasis here is upon the, the nature of the communication, that God's, uh, how God's message is announced. It's not uh, announced uh, loudly. It's announced silently. It's, it's inaudible. Uh, it is uh, proclaiming uh, with uh, the eyes, so to speak. Not, not a message that we hear with our ears, but we see it. We behold it. The heavens reveal knowledge and they speak, and yet what they reveal is silent, inaudible knowledge. And uh, the second line in this verse is a little bit difficult to, to understand because the Hebrew is just literally, without being heard, their voice. So you have to kind of try make sense of it and supply something uh, within there. But I think the idea is more along the lines of there is no place uh, where their voice is not heard. Now, there's no speech and there's no words, but there's no place that uh, this message is not heard and proclaimed. Now, this inaudible message goes forth and it is impossible to silence it or conceal it. Now, the, the Chinese uh, Communist Party goes to, to great lengths uh, to control the, the access that the Chinese people have to the Internet. Do you know that? Now, there is a massive firewall in the Internet in China. And the state controls uh, what goes through that firewall. Anything that would be critical of the Chinese Communist Party just happens to get edited out. But in their totalitarian control, we, we see the wisdom of God's ways. Because it, it's relatively easy to filter the Internet. It's very, very difficult to filter the entire night sky. Right? How do you go about that? 
God's message is not uh, audible, uh, but you cannot silence it either. You, you cannot cover it up. You cannot conceal it. You can't uh, hide the reality that God exists. So you can, uh, at the Chinese Communist Party, you can, you can try and uh, edit Christ and Christianity. You can try and scrub him from the Internet, but you cannot scrub him from the skies. Joseph Addison wrote a, a hymn based upon Psalm 19. In, in the third verse, he, he brilliantly captures the proclamation of the stars. He says, What though in solemn silence all move round this dark terrestrial ball? What though no real voice nor sound amidst their radiant orbs be found? In reason's ear they all rejoice and utter forth a glorious voice, forever singing as they shine, the hand that made us is divine. The skies and heavens announce a message about God that is completely inaudible, yet it is unable to be silenced. No human power can tear it down. Uh, no human power can hide it from the eyes of man. It is plain and always there for every human being to behold. And this is the emphasis in, in the, the next uh, verse. We could say that creation's announcement is also uh, inclusive and universal. If you look at the, the first two lines in verse 4, it's three lines in total. Uh, but the first two lines say this, their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. Uh, and uh, the announcement that, that is coming forth from uh, the heavens uh, has a, a measuring line. That's the idea when it says that their line has gone out. Uh, the idea behind a, a measuring line in, in the Hebrew sense is that you use this uh, long uh, rope, this, this measuring line, to mark out the allotment of an inheritance. You go and mark out a, a property uh, of, of which portion belongs to which sun uh, and where it goes. And so uh, the, the measuring line of the stars extends how far? It encompasses all of the... The earth. Uh, well, what is, what is the, the, the portion that the, the stars are to make their announcement to? Uh, the entire world. All of the globe. This uh, is included in their territory. That's what I mean by when I say that this message, this announcement is inclusive. It includes everybody on the earth. Now, and in that sense, it is also universal. All right? The silent utterances of the sun, moon, and stars go out to the end of the world. All people everywhere are able to see and contemplate this announcement of God's existence. Now, and why does this matter that this announcement from God uh, is inclusive and universal? Well, go, going back to that passage that I read in, in Romans uh, chapter 1. The end of Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says this. I'll just read verse 20 again. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Because this is a universal announcement. It's there for everybody to see. Nobody has the excuse. Back uh, when I was teaching algebra to junior high students at the, the Christian school that we had at our church in L.A., I, I heard a variety of excuses concerning homework. Some of them were very entertaining. Some of the excuses were not so entertaining. I think my least favorite excuse uh, was I didn't know that we had homework. I didn't know. And I would just look up at the board right here in the upper right-hand corner. 
there was a word that was never, ever erased. This word was homework. And each day under that word homework, I would write, can you guess what the homework was? Uh, And so when students would say, I didn't know we had homework, it's, wait, how did you not know? It's right there. In that same way, no human being will be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know that you even existed. God's going to say, no. That, that, that is an unacceptable excuse. God's existence is made known everywhere. The knowledge of him gushes forth. It's everywhere you look. There is no excuse. We are all going to have to give an account to him because he is the creator. And so in this sense, general revelation uh, is enough to bring condemnation upon everybody. Uh, It is enough to remove every person's excuse. Uh, It doesn't tell us all that we need to know. We'll talk about that more next week. But we need special revelation. General revelation says God exists, but it doesn't tell us how to be in a relationship with him. But we need the, the scriptures for that. But general revelation urges us to seek the creator, to search him out, to, to come to a conclusion and to realize that he is there. And I'm going to have to answer to him one day. Psalm 24, one says the earth is the Lord's and all that contains the world and those who dwell in it. If God the Creator exists, I'm accountable to Him. He made me. That's a sobering thought. But in addition to the announcement of the heavens, we also have a, a testimony within our own souls. And again, this was in what, what the Apostle Paul wrote in, in Romans 1. He says the, the, God, the, the existence of God is evident within them. I guess revelation is, general revelation is outside of us, but it's also inside of us. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in the human heart so that no man will, will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. We all understand that there is a life beyond this one. We all understand that there is something more. Romans 2 verses 14 and 15 it says, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. And in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness in their thoughts, alternately accusing or else defending them. God has put uh, a conscience within each and every one of us, as a remnant of the, the image of God in man. That we know right and wrong, and we express a moral outrage when wrong takes place. I'm sure you all heard about the, the shooting in Texas on Monday. Right? And what, what is the response to such a shooting? Outrage. Heartache. Why does everybody come to the same moral conclusion about that? Because the image of God in you, God has written the works of the law on your heart. And you know right and wrong. We, we can suppress that. We can sear our conscience. Uh, but, but God has impressed that upon our hearts. Uh, and we know it. He's put the works of the law on our hearts. And so we are still able to, to make judgments rightly. But secular humanism 
science cannot explain how we all come to that conclusion. They want to suppress uh, the, the truth about God, but they can't suppress the, the, the right and wrong of morality. You have no morality without God. You have no moral grounds to condemn uh, violence against children. If you're going to suppress who God is. If you're going to say God doesn't exist, then why is it wrong? People are unable to explain that. But the announcement of God in creation brings everybody under condemnation. It removes the excuse of every single person. Creation is announcing the existence and glory of God. Its announcement is constant and continual. It is inaudible, and yet it cannot be silenced. It is inclusive and universal. And then finally, verse, the last line of verse 4 through the end of verse 6, creation announces God's power and authority. If you look with me at those verses, it says, In them, speaking of the, the heavens, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and it rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So David shifts his focus from the, from the, the nighttime sky uh, to the daytime sky. And, and the sun uh, is the, the focus in these verses here. And David uses poetic language to describe what the sun is like. If you were going to say that the, the sun bursts uh, onto the scene each and every day, with brightness and joy and gladness, what, what illustrations would you use? He says, well, it's like a bridegroom coming out of the, the honeymoon chamber. Uh, he's like a strong man who, who can't wait to go and run the race. He uses this poetic language to describe the sun. And the sun also expresses a particular kind of order in the universe. Uh, from, an, from an earthly perspective, uh, the sun does the same thing each and every day. It has a, a course, it has a, a circuit that it does, Right? It rises in the east and it sets in the west. And what does that proclaim? An order. Uh, and An and orderer. Uh, it's proclaiming God's power uh, and his authority. Okay? And that last line in verse 6 provides an emphasis for this section. There is nothing hidden from its heat. David didn't say there is nothing hidden from its light. Because you can go under a shade tree. You can go into a tent. You can go into a building. It doesn't say there's nothing hidden from its light. He says there's nothing hidden from its heat. The idea is that when the sun shines upon the earth, what happens? Yeah, it warms up. That, that is the, the emphasis. You can run to Alaska. You can go to Antarctica. You can go to Siberia or the South Pole. But when the sun comes up, what's going to happen? It's going to be warmer than it was with the sun down. You cannot hide from the heat of the sun. And the subtle implication underneath David's statements here is that the sun itself, which is the greatest of the heavenly bodies, right? It's greater than the moon. It's greater than the stars. The sun is under the control of God, the creator. It is an all-powerful God who places the sun in that circuit. It is an all-powerful God who causes the sun to heat up and to, to give its heat upon the earth. And this sets forth a pattern within the psalm, right? Here in the first portion of the psalm, that we have the Son that is in submission to God. 
Uh, and in the, the second portion of the psalm that we're going to look at in coming weeks, uh, we have God's people who are in submission to God and his word. Uh, this is the pattern that uh, is established by David. That's really uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. This pattern is, is woven together for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and able to dis- discern the thoughts and intentions of the human heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have to give an account. You cannot hide from the heat of the sun, and you cannot hide from the God who created the sun. So what do we have All of this about uh, God's revelation. How has He revealed Himself in His creation? Well, God's uh, revelation in creation only communicates knowledge about God. It's not uh, uh, revelation or information about everything. It's it's knowledge about God. Uh, General revelation uh, is a constant and continual. It's available at all times. Uh, It is inaudible and available to the eyes. Uh, It is inclusive and universal. Uh, It is available to all people throughout all of human history. And because it announces God's power and authority, it was also uh, only able to condemn us. And that's where uh, we have to to see and realize, and going back to that that, that progression of uh, this this psalm, right? David begins with an, an impersonal God who is the creator, and he moves to a personal God uh, at the end, my rock and my redeemer. God doesn't want you to, to stay in that realm of like, yeah, I just know God exists. He's up there somewhere. That's not what we are called to. We are called to know God. We are called to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we are called to place our hope and our trust in the one whom God has sent to live and die on our behalf. And we place our faith and trust in him uh, to live in fellowship with him. That is what we are called to. Uh, and we cannot uh, sit on the fence there. Right? We are all, uh, we have no excuse for not uh, acknowledging God's existence and we have no excuse uh, for not honoring Him as the Creator. Back in uh, the early 20th century, there were several mathematicians and astronomers who were uh, running calculations concerning the size and the movement of the universe. And up until that point in time, scientists had believed or followed what's known as the the steady state theory, which held that the universe had no beginning uh, and that it would have no end. Uh, Well, these astronomers, as they began to to run the numbers, they they were able to use math. Again, how does order like math come about by chance? It doesn't. And these astronomers using math realized that the universe has to have a beginning. And when they proved this and the reality hit home, many of them did not like it because they understood that to to have a beginning to time, there had to be a creator. There had to be that first cause. Listen to these quotes from scientists at that point in time. Sir Arthur Eddington, a British astronomer, wrote in 1931, the notion of a beginning is repugnant to me. German chemist Walter Nurst said, to deny the infinite duration of time would be to betray the very foundations of science. Okay? Because you're going to say there's a, there has to be some type of uh, supernatural outside of science event that breaks the laws of science for things to come into existence. 
Philip Morrison of MIT said concerning the Big Bang theory, this is at the very beginning, he said, I would like to reject it. They didn't like this idea of a beginning. Even Albert Einstein, whose theory of relativity uh, predicted an expanding universe, said the circumstance uh, of an initial moment of creation irritates me. And to admit such possibilities seems senseless. Although he did acknowledge that all of the math seemed accurate. And Robert uh, Jastrow, the founder and director of NASA's uh, Goddard uh, Institute for Space Studies, uh, he uh, was amused at these reactions of his fellow scientists. And he he wrote a book called God and the Astronomers. And, And the book concludes with this statement. He says, For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance and he is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. They do all of these things and they realize God has to exist. You cannot deny him. If you try to, it's not going to accept that excuse. The evidence for God is everywhere in creation. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. But what will you do with that evidence? You've got to respond to it. What are you going to do? Will you suppress it and then suppress your suppression of it? Or will you submit to it? Going back to the overall message of the entire Psalter, we've talked about that. Uh, Psalms 1 and 2 are the introduction. Psalm 2, what are we to do? We are to, to pay homage. We are to kiss the Son. We are to acknowledge His Lordship. If you want to live in this world before uh, our Creator, before uh, the One who rules over all things, uh, we need to understand what He is calling us to. We cannot deny His existence, and we must live in a relationship with Him. And that relationship is through His Son. And Psalm 19 is a wonderful reminder of this. We just looked at the first portion. I can't wait for the next two portions where we're going to see special revelation, what God's Word is and what it does. Then we're going to see the the right response to that in verses 11 to 15. But, But there's much to ponder here at the very beginning of this psalm. Do I believe that God exists? Will I suppress the truth or will I submit to it? 